Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Friends, and welcome in. It is Rates and Barrels. I'm your host today, Chris Welsh. No DVR, but he's coming back soon, sometime into the near future. Until then, you'll have to deal with me just a little bit extra. Joined, as always, by my great friend, Eno Saris. You guys can check out the 2023 Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit at theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. If you're not already a subscriber, $2 a month for the first year gets you in the door. You can check out all the fantastic stuff with the Draft Kit plus Pitching plus projections by Eno. My dynasty ranks are up there. It's a whole bunch of great stuff. So go and sign up today. There's no reason not to. Eno, today we're going to do some news. It's been a little bit since we've caught up and, uh, oh yeah, a little bit of spring training going on. Quite quite a bit of things from performances to stuff changes to injuries and more. It's a lot of baseball right now and it is a glorious time, my friend. Oh my God, did so much baseball. The kids started uh, Little League. And uh, so I was coached by, oh, you know, we just had Lars Nootbaar on last week. I was coached by Lars Nootbaar's dad in how to coach my kid in pitching. So that really? was a fun little clinic. Charlie Nootbaar came by for the National Pitching Association. He's associated with Tom House. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, they, sh- they gave us some exercises the kids can do. And one of the biggest things that I thought was really interesting was you should warm up to throw. You should not throw to warm up. And that is Mm. very different from what we'd heard in the past uh, in coaching. You know, if you're doing a practice for little kids, almost always you say, go grab a ball, get out there and start tossing the ball around. That's how you start practice. And uh, he was saying that that doesn't make sense. You should be warm and, you know, he's got these like you're running around with your arms up in the air and you're flapping them around and you're doing all sorts of stuff. But the idea is to basically activate all your muscles before you start. Playing. So like stretch and like, I mean, I bet little kids just love running around, waving their hands. My kid would love that. So instead of picking up the ball and throwing it, just kind of get moving, get like moving the shoulders and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like even one where you just run with your hands up in the air like Let's this or one where you run in the hands going like this and. One where you run, you're like twisting while you're running. All this stuff is to like activate your obliques, activate your shoulders. The kids have pretty weak rotator cuffs and shoulders. So you want to get those warmed up. You don't want to just pick up a ball and fling it and be like, ow. You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, I thought that was pretty useful. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and so we're going to try and incorporate. I think the easiest, it's funny when you do one of these and you're like, man, this is so different than what we've been doing in practice, you know? Like this is like, that's overwhelming. How are we going to, and I'm like, you know what? Bite off what you can chew. Make it real easy. Let's do this. Everyone take a lap before you throw. Let's just start with that, you know? And then we get more organized. We can do, you know, laps with the the arms in the air or, 
finish the lap with your arms up in the air like this. All right, boom. We that's better than we were yesterday. You know, <laughs> that's actually really cool to know. My kid uh, is is ten years old. He wants to really start getting into baseball, and he's a lefty. He's actually ambidextrous. He can do things with both Whoa. hands. So I've always kind of told him he doesn't understand the concept of it. But I'm like, hey, buddy, like you're gonna yeah. be mighty fine Switch if we hitting. can get you rolling. Switch hitting, uh, you know, big lefty, whatever it I is. I can't he, do it at all. Like I cannot. No. I cannot figure. It out. I like I can't Useless. think. Like yeah. even when I'm like talking to a left-handed pitcher, I have to be like, "Listen, I need, I'm going to show you something, but I have to do it with my right hand because I can't even think. Like I can't even make the right motion with my left." The hand. only thing that's actually helped me is having a son who's a left. I've had a, I've had to start doing some things in that to motion show to show to him because he has a hard time conceptualizing when I do things righty. But he just started to want to get into baseball, and I'll start diving that's down cool. there. So there's a good tip, and oh yeah. Probably the coolest thing ever that Eno can bring in, like <laughs> the Newt Bar family and like another amazing people. Everyone's going to have expectations of you, though. They're going to be like, all right, so when are you going to bring in Sean Manaya to show us how to do this? And when are you going to yeah. bring in, you know, this next player? When are you going to bring in Joey Votto to talk to the kids about hitting? That's going to be the expectation of you. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I try to keep expectations low. <laughs> I mean, well, it's just hard because it actually becomes so much baseball when I'm watching spring training at taking at a practice with one kid and I have to take the other kid to the, his other practice and they're talking about baseball and we're watching it on TV and it's, and I'm writing about it. And it's like, woo, when we were doing it in fall ball, I was like, this is a lot. And I, it is. I can't believe my wife is is cool with this. <laughs> I, ha- I had a I had a similar thing. Um, I spent a, a Thursday. We're going to talk about it next week in an episode. But you know, my my days have just been at camps the whole time. I've been getting vi- different videos and stuff. I've been trying to share. And my day started off uh, out of camp, coming home, recording, and then going out. I was invited to the top spot house, and uh, Nando actually got me hooked up with it. And I got to go out there and see there were a bunch of players, interviews uh, were going on. Randy Johnson was out there doing photography for Tops. And I was actually able to interview uh, Drew Jones with Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm going to play some some audio of it next week on an episode uh, where we're going to be talking, I think, about a first-year player next week. So you can be on the lookout for that. But those days where your entire day is consumed with baseball, sometimes your head spins a little bit because it's yeah, every it's crazy. single day. Yeah. Like, well, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's funny to then like contrast that with, and I hate to whine about, uh, work, but, uh, to contrast that with like people yelling at you on Twitter that you don't love baseball because you think the pitch clock is fine. It's just, and, and, and I like my hackles raised and I want to I want to argue it, but there is no arguing with this. There's no arguing. There's, there's no, no arguing. There's no, We're actually going to talk about that. Uh, so like I can't hear you. I'm trying to listen to Charlie Newton help me coach my kid. <laughs> I must hate <laughs> And I just got baseball. off talking with Lars. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah exactly. I, I must hate it. I hate baseball, but I just talked to Lars Newbar. I got Charlie Newbar here and we're going to be talking to other amazing players here soon and like doing it five days a week. 98% no of day. my days are yeah. involved in baseball. Well, people listening, it might not be 98% of their day or anything like that, but there has been a lot of stuff that has gone on, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think it was a really good decision. Eno and I were talking about this, and we just play catch-up on a lot of the big things. More so than anything else, with spring training like officially starting only a couple days ago, we are really getting to see some of the big practices that are lining up here, and there are some big changes. So we're going to talk about the biggest pieces of news down to even some of the really interesting performance-based things. So that's what we're going to do on the episode today. And the biggest thing that came down was actually uh, over on the Padres. I was going to that camp the day 
that Manny Machado, which was recorded by uh, reported by Jeff Passan, Manny Machado did re-sign with the San Diego Padres on an 11-year, $350 million deal, which did not feel like it was going to happen. I was going to Padres camp that day. I walked in there, you know, and there were maybe 150 to 200 people lined up, raring to go, and I was like, Today's not the day we're going to do the Padres because it was just chaotic <laughs> there. But it really seemed like, and a lot of people everywhere assumed Manny Machado was gone and people were lining him up with the Mets that he was going to get big money. Uh, I was also there the day he did the interview in the like wild outfit where he's like, I'm opting out. I'm opting out and I'm, you know, we're not doing anything. And it really seemed like it was in a bad spot. But they turned and it like around. People and, even thought that the Sander Bogart, Xander Bogart's trying tr- signing might have been like you know in anticipation of losing Machado. Yeah, yeah, and it's not. And well, there's a couple things with it, but somehow they've got endless, endless amounts of money, and I don't know how they're doing it. You've got the Juan Soto situation that's out there, but they just signed you Darvish. They got Xander Bogarts. They got Tatis. They've got a crew of players that are going to be playing until their forties and hopefully these guys will get going. So what are your thoughts on them even being able to secure this and Manny Machado ending his career with the San Diego Padres? Do you like, do you like these guys signing these deals like that are into their forties pretty much for the Padres? Do you think this is a good idea for the Padres? Yeah. I mean, their estimated 2023 payroll is now 262 million. Um, and for 2024 without arbitration, it's 169. Uh, but then you've got Soto, uh, there in arbitration, uh, Jake Cronenworth in his second year, Grisham in his second year. So I would assume that you add another sort of 40 or $50 million in arbitration guys. Uh, so that gets you over 200 uh, while also losing Luis Garcia, Adam Engel, Nelson Cruz, uh, Blake Snell to free agency and Josh Hader to free agency. So they'd be, they're going to be at, you know, just about 10 million short of the luxury tax threshold um, and need a closer and another starting pitcher. Well, did it was it also mentioned by the way that they are still planning to be at the forefront of the Shohei Otani sweepstakes next season? Or the that, year, I don't. That next does seem crazy to me. I mean, uh, part of it maybe is putting the lie to that the fact that uh, maybe other teams could be could be doing this too. You know, um, that uh, that teams could be spending more on payroll than they do. Um, there's, it's also fascinating in light of the fact that Bally's and, you know, a bunch of these TV contracts are, uh, you know, Bally's about to go belly up and, and there's a couple other AT&T and, um, and Apple, I think there's, there's a couple that want to get out of their contracts. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, a lot of TV money that's going to be exiting, uh, the industry, uh, pretty soon. I do think long-term, uh, teams will find a way to market directly their video directly to to fans. So then it could be the end of blackouts and also maybe a better arrangement financially for teams where they can be like, we can make as much money as we can make off of our direct subscribers. We can directly have a, a product that we sell to our subscribers, our video, right? Well, like a Padres, and, like Padres online, Padres TV online or something like that, where people, can yeah, like an MLB TV, but or- yeah, MLB TV, but I'm just a Padres, you know, I, I just buy for the Padres, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be, that's where we're headed. And, um, that might mean more money for teams. Uh, then you put it into context with, uh, you know, uh, uh, the fact that, uh, the Padres have come out of small market status and are not a luxury tax receiver anymore. Um, so there's, uh, there's been a change in kind of their market status 
uh, as as it's defined by baseball. I can you tell you on into... the backfields here, there is no team, and I've I haven't gone to all of them, of course. And the Dodgers are their own animal, but there is no team I've been to that has bigger crowds than the Padres, and that rivals the the Dodgers. And if you've ever been to spring training out here and you go to the backfields, you know the Dodgers is a zoo. It's an absolute zoo of people. Mm-hmm. That's the Padres now. People are lining up in droves to go down there. New fans that are out there. But I will tell you this, you know, if the Padres start up a Patreon, I'm out on baseball. I'm out. If they start up <laughs> a Patreon, yeah, that's going to be the direct-to-consumer stuff. They're like, yeah, hey, we got a Patreon. Come on, check it out. I'm out on all of that. But yeah, uh, it's but, an interesting uh, concept. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I would say that, um, you know, stretching out these deals has a little bit of a manipulating the luxury tax uh, element to it where it's like, okay, we would love to pay him $40 million for eight years or whatever, or, you know, whatever, like a shorter term. Uh, but if we we spread it out to 10 and 11 years, we make the average annual value lower, and that, that would leave us under the luxury tax. I'd love to say that's what's going on in San Diego, but that can't be what's going on in San Diego if they're going to be at the luxury tax next year, you know, just with their core. It's not meant to stay under the luxury tax. This is just spending, you know? This is just spending to get better and and to take on the Dodgers. So do you think um, at all, when you look at this, that um, there's a lot of weirdness going around with Fernando Tatis. Do you think the signing of Manny Machado is a precursor to like, something's got to break with this team and it's not Darvish. It's not Xander Bogarts. It's now not Manny Machado. It feels like it's going to come down to Tatis or Soto. Do you think with maybe a little bit of a fractured relationship, Tatis might be on the way out? I, you know, in the past, a deal like this was in unmovable. You know, you know, you're talking about these long, big deals. Like, remember how hard it was for the Marlins to trade away Giancarlo Stanton? Yeah. In the middle of his long deal? Like, they basically had to just take whatever the Yankees would give them. Like, they weren't they weren't getting prospects. It was just like, here, take the contract. The Diamondbacks, uh, Zach Granke's contract cost the Diamondbacks Paul Goldschmidt. They Because of the deal that they had put on Granke, they were unable to afford Paul Goldschmidt and had to do that awful that trade. trade that they did. And, I mean, we even saw the Diamondbacks at one point get under a bat, and I just know about the Diamondbacks. They had to trade one of their top prospects with Bronson Arroyo to the Braves just to get rid of them. And they didn't even get anything mm-hmm. back. They're just like, here, we'll give you a prospect and give you this contract. And so if you're the Padres, you're not attaching a prospect to Tatis to trade him away. So I, no. I figure uh, basically uh, it's Soto. I don't think, I think they don't sign Soto to a long-term deal. It's just that his, you know, he's a Boris guy. He's not necessarily going to go out there and, um, and uh, and give them an extension, right? He wants to hit the open market, and that's at least what he said. So, and we'll see if he, that actually happens. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. But I I kind of, I mean, I didn't think there would be three $30 million guys on one team, but I kind of doubt there's going to be four $30 million guys on one team. Pretty shocking. And I think Soto, maybe they they hold on to Soto as the guy that they can trade in season if they're having a bad year. But if they are having a bad year after all this and don't make the playoffs, like what point does the love affair between Seidler and Preller run out? Pretty soon. Uh, I I think it can be cured by the acquisition of Shohei Otani. If you continuously create excitement around the team, it's smoke and mirrors sometimes. Like, hey, don't look over here. Watch my hand here. Don't look at my hand over here. That might be, unfortunately, what they become. What what happens if they lose in the first round? I'm I'm fascinated by the Padres. It's just, uh, if they lose in the first round, is that enough momentum to 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 say okay we're we're still building something good here i'll give you another 500 million for Shohei Otani i think it's a possibility it also could be a possibility that they break something up and that breakup might be a tatis i know those rumors have been flying not to be passed if you have any other comments on it obviously but the padres were also in the other big piece of news there's two other things we're going to talk about here that we are finally seeing all of what is going to be the pitch clock. And it's um, 15 seconds, not no man on base, 20 seconds with a man on base. We had the first two violations, and Manny Machado, who we're actually talking about, was the very first recipient of a uh, called strike. And I believe Robbie Ray was the very first recipient of uh, a delay, which was a ball. We also saw a game end in a, a walk-off style where Cal Conley stepped out and was called strike and the game just ended, which is wild. And like you said, the internet is going crazy about it. I've, I've, I've experienced this quite a bit. I'm very indifferent and I'm probably, if, if you I hate see. it, it's not going to be good for me because or you're not going to like me because it's worked. I've seen it work. It's, it speeds up games. I like it, but it definitely feels, I feel anxiety watching. I feel like pitchers in spring training are going really fast and it's screwing with stuff. So talk to me about the, what you've seen with the uh, the pitch clock and the adjustments for hitters and pitchers so far in spring training. I think there'll be an adjustment for people watching. I, I think that baseball for a lot of people is something you put on, you do other things. I mean, I honestly, <laughs> it's, like it's, because, it's like a podcast. It's like a podcast. Yeah, or like, and... I mean, maybe it's just my life. Baseball is always on in my house. But when you have baseball always on and it's a slow paced game, you kind of you'll wash the dishes and look up. Oh, someone hit a homer. You know what I mean? Like that's that's like that can be a sort of average game watching experience. As I'm I'm watching it while I'm cooking dinner, right? But I think the pitch clock baseball is more like no, you got to watch this instead of like four hours of baseball is on while I'm doing things. This is going to be two and a half hours of watch it of like actually watch it. And baseball used to be a comedy and now it's more like a really intense drama. Yeah. Yeah. You got to pay attention. You got to pay attention. And, 
and so I think that'll be an adjustment for some people. Some people I think are right are right to react to that, and that's totally fine for them if they're if they're mo- if they're really angry about that. I'm surprised to see people think that they would just never watch baseball again because of the pitch clock. I've seen uh, a a uh, there was a yes no see there was a when we asked people what are the biggest issues in the game pitch clock was number five or just yeah. pacing was number five I agree with that and forty eight percent people said that said that so then there was all these people online being like oh fifty two percent said it wasn't a big deal I was like that's not actually how the poll worked. The poll asked, is this, you know, is this one of the biggest issues in the game? So the other 52%, you don't know if they thought it was a little issue. It wasn't an issue. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, they just didn't put it on the list. In fact, you should look at the ranked list and see, oh, they thought it was the fifth most important thing in the game. And if you look at all the stuff above it, it's not stuff that baseball can do anything about unilaterally. It's all stuff like, you know, uh, 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 spending is out of, like in, uh, you know, spending is out of control or tanking. Tanking is on there. Well, they tried to do something about tanking the CBA. It's very complicated to do anything about tanking. It requires getting the owners and players and and Major League Baseball on the same page. That's very difficult. But pace of play is something they can actually do something about. So they're trying to do something about it. It is something that people care about. Uh, Travis Sochik had a yes-no poll that was like, do you like it or not? It was 80% last time I checked. There was like 2,000 votes and it was 80% people liked it. So I think that people are just going to like it. I think that the early part, this part, it was always going to suck. Because they're just going to be people who have to get used to it. And I think from watching, I haven't seen hard numbers on this yet, but from watching, it looks to me like uh, the hitters are having a harder time than the pitchers. Well, there's a lot of adjustments in, uh, you know, them getting back to the plate and getting rolling. Pitchers don't have what a lot alert. of alert. You have to be yeah. alert. The pit batter has to be alert to the pitcher in eight seconds. And there's plenty of guys who will get their feet in and be like swinging their bat, but not looking at the pitcher. That's been the basic of what's happened. Well, also people need to understand it's not oh, like no. the... It's breaking news. What do we got? Gavin Lux limping, cannot put pressure on his right foot. They're taking him off in a cart. Ooh, on a cart? Right, his right knee. He couldn't put pressure on it, and they're taking him off, and he looks bad. Oh no, that's too bad because we just had the news of him adding six miles an hour bat speed at driveline. And the uptick in uh, speed, uh, stolen base attempts that Dave Roberts wanted him and Miguel Vargas to start doing. Oh, <laughs> you're freaking me oh. out. What's happening? Uh, it's just a really awkward. It's basically one of those like high ankle sprains that he's feeling all the way up to the knee. I think. Oh, can we not? We can't. Is it one that's not good to watch? I, it was like I was like, oh, like oh, you no, know, I can't that do definitely this. hurts. It's not. It's not like um the what is the is it Naismith or whatever or like the. The leg is like going into no, no, yeah, no, 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 it's not no, that it's not this. that bad, but okay. it looks bad. I would I would guess like, you know, out like three to four weeks with a high ankle sprain. So. Chris Taylor. That would be Chris Taylor who would looks like he would probably fill in for that spot. Um if Miguel Vargas was a short it, it does he, mean Miguel Vargas is probably on the team, yeah. Oh yeah, I think it's even more of a guarantee. It just my brain got going thinking, man, what if Miguel Vargas is shortstop and they put Mookie out at second base because they got guys like Trace, you know, they got like Trace Thompson uh, and James I don't think Vargas is that good defensively. No, no, he's not. They wouldn't okay. do that. But that would probably <laughs> yeah. something where uh, and I think Chris Taylor's Taylor. already done with shortstop too. So I think it just means more Miguel Rojas. No, Miguel Rojas just uh I think he left the game uh yesterday or today. He just came up limp and had uh, something going on as well. Oh, so this, could this be a bad year for the Dodgers, dude? Uh, well, we're talking about the Padres. This is a good thing for the Padres and their fans if that were to happen. So um, yeah. you freaked me out. You freaked me out with the injury. Uh, they like, just oh did the God. slow. They just did the slow mo, and I was like, "Yeah." Um, 
But we were so, talking about the, the the clocks. I think that people will get used to the clocks. I don't think that it'll be a major problem for anybody. I am surprised that Kenley Jansen found out he's the slowest pitcher in baseball by watching MLB Network in the uh, in the clubhouse. And uh, I've I've been watching some of the Sox games. They've had a ton of violations in the Sox games. I kind of feel like the Sox didn't really prepare for this. <laughs> Just well, see, no, okay, getting. that's where I was. No one go called Kenley Jansen and said, "Hey, by the way, in your in your offseason throwing progressions, could you just have some clock on that?" <laughs> you see, it's interesting you say that because what I was going to say was that people should also understand. I guess I can't speak to every single team, but you, you should understand that like it's not like the guys stepped up to their first game on Friday Saturday and were like, "All right." Let's figure What's out this, this clock, clock thing. thing. Well, I think it on... seems like that for Boston. Uh, well, maybe know. for Boston it was. That's probably not a big shock at this point. But we didn't. I, like I, I reported. I, sh- I showed a shared a video during camp the previous week about Nate Evaldi that they were working. The Rangers were on yeah. the clocks on the fields, and they were also working with Pitchcom. And then you the saw, <laughs> yeah, and you saw the adjustments as well. Like Max Scherzer, I think pitched today or yesterday, and he had like the Pitchcom device on his glove, and he was Zach just Greinke calling had pitches. On his belt. Yeah, Zach yeah, so is calling from his belt. A lot of these guys are, this is going to be the time period. And they're the older guys that might be slower. And the younger guys that you don't necessarily want calling their own games are just more used to the pitch con- like more used to the pitch clock. They're just, they're more used to it. So pacing, like, yeah, they're used anybody, to it. Like, this is what I think is funny is like these people being like, oh, it's terrible. And I was like, you haven't, you, this is the first time you've seen it. You haven't watched any college baseball or minor league baseball in the last five years. <laughs> like, like the, I guess not. <laughs> yeah. But it's been out there. It's been coming for a long time, and uh, you could have you could have checked it out. But uh, I, I I think it'll it's it's like a new new sh- it's a shock of a new rule that's a big deal. And I don't want to take that away from anybody. I don't want to take it away from anybody. They hate it. That's fine. The you only question it. I have with this for you, um, and we can go to the next big piece, and then the second half of this episode is going to really be about a lot of the news and spring training and stuff, is, and I know this is probably dicey because it's only been a couple of days and you're not like at spring training. Have you heard from any players or any connections or anything that have made comments about this process yet? Is there anything getting out there? I know you have some good relationship with some guys, but is anybody complaining or just being like, this isn't a big deal? It's only in five days. Well, so. Lars Nupar in interview did say that that it would be harder maybe on the hitters than the pitchers, uh, and he was talking about that it's going to be it's going to be interesting for the hitters, and I think that's been proven to be true. Uh, we've seen Trevor May tweet uh, about the sh- the Boston thing. He said, "Just like I dreamed about uh, on the Sandlot or whatever." So I think people really didn't like the game ending, and maybe maybe there will be a tweak where they say it's off in the ninth inning. I mean, you know, why not? Just turn yeah. it off in the ninth inning. I don't know. Uh, well, it's not going to end like that, by the way, in season. We're not going to. Uh, well, no, I guess they will. Yeah, it could. It could. But it's yeah, a very right. it's a very niche case. And it's also in the first week of doing it. So uh, one thing that I was tweeting out was that uh, in the beginning, when they did these things in the minor leagues, there was two infractions a game. And then five weeks in uh, of the, with the new rules, it was an infraction every two games. So that's on the that's on the same level of uh, delay of game penalties in football, which seems like a very similar thing. <laughs> you know, so. delay of game's been around for a while. They still mess it up. So there's some expected number of just mess ups that just happening. Yeah. And I don't think you can get it. And I think once it comes once every every two games and the penalty is just a ball or a strike, I think we'll get over it. It's and- I, d- I doubt we're going to get 
one of those game ending situations again for a long time. And that's how minor leagues and like AFL, that, that's how it became. It became really a, a, a non thing and it will over time. It's just very much in our face. The other big thing that has been looming around that we're finally getting a little bit of data on for, be- for better, for worse or whatever you can take it as are the stolen base numbers. And our, uh, our friend Jason Collette, our mutual friend Jason Collette, had a really interesting tweet, and he cited you on it. The tweet that you can check out, follow him at Jason Collette, was 2022 spring training steal attempts per game were 0.77. This year, in 2023, they are 1.7. Uh, he cited you saying, Eno has mentioned teams run more in 1. spring than regular 07. season. Is it 1.07 or 1.7? Oh, 1.07. I'm sorry. Yeah, it yeah, was 1.07. Yeah. And he said that you had mentioned that teams run more in spring than regular season. League attempts per rate last year were 0.68. So 0.78 was the spring training. And then 0.68 was in season. He ends up breaking it down where you can see the differential, which is on average about, and we're just going to do an average here, you know, of about a 20% decrease from spring training to in season. But you're looking at a 0.09, uh, which actually was what he put on his bar. So 0.07, 0.09, whatever it is, which would be the highest since 2012 of spring training numbers. So if you take a 20% marker, you're looking at a pretty significant increase over last year, 20 to 30%, I think it was, of a stolen base increase. That's what it's has so been funny, speculated. Though. Yeah, and and that's uh, there's also a good model over at Baseball Prospectus where they they kind of tried to model what happened in the minor leagues with these rule changes, and they expected a uh, of like a 25 percent increase in stolen bases too. That's a ton of stolen bases. However, if you think about it, a guy with four steals five. Um, so <laughs> uh, it's not going to be that much on the player level. And uh, even the, the we started looking at who would affect the most. And um, there's if you do go look at that Jason Collette uh, thread on Twitter, there's some research on it uh, where someone looked at types of players and who benefited the most. And it lined right up with what Stephen Vogt said, which is the top guys did not actually see that many more increases in stolen base attempts and weren't any more successful. Uh, but the guys who had a little bit of speed um, and and weren't successful, didn't have great success rates, did take off more and were more successful. So it means the most in these like little small uh, places where I think a guy who could steal four might actually steal six, <laughs> which is a 50% increase. But the guy who steals 30 may not steal much more than 31 or 32. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I do think on a percentage level, we're going to see it mostly out of these handful of steals guys. We're going to see guys go from eight to 10 and from six to eight. And uh, that's great because that's my strategy in fantasy is always to load up on the guys who steal you 10 bags or whatever. And I'm hoping all those guys steal, you know, 12 to 15 this year. And, and it makes my strategy uh, just as good as just as viable as before. Yep. I went back and looked at 2012 real quick. Uh, the leader that year was Mike Trout with 49 uh, uh, steals there was uh, Everett Cabrera with 44. Last year, we didn't have anybody over 35, so we could have somebody over 40. Uh, and also, we had like um, 28 uh, guys with 20 steals in 2012. And last year, uh, I think we had like 16. So there are going to be more guys with 20 steals. There, there are probably going to be some difference at the top, but a lot of the difference will come with the guys who steal you know, 5 to 12 bags. So there were kind of two questions I had. One was, I, I didn't see this in the data. One interesting part about the end of Colette's was essentially saying that 
the uh the, he had an exact number 25.2 percent improvement it's essentially saying last year there were just about 3300 stolen base attempts and he's projecting 4131 based off of what we're seeing early is that the only thing i haven't seen is is there any difference in the success rate of stolen bases because it's one thing if they're stealing more i'm curious if the success rate is changing because we have less pickoff attempts and we have shorter base paths that we can say like, okay, 25% maybe only equates to, you know, two or one or two or something like that. But what if the success rate has gone up and then all of a sudden you're also looking at maybe an extra one or two, the percentage actually goes up because the success rate is better now with lower bases. That might be a little tiny quantifiable thing that might change, you know, those middle line guys to steal just a couple more bases. And back to what you said, might get us back into a spot where 30 stolen base guys could become 40 this year. Uh, but I don't think I've seen anything like that. Well, Bradley Libros uh, did some work. Uh, he's B-L-I-B-R-O-S. Um, and he he he's on that thread. And he did some work where he did look at exactly that. Um, okay. And he looked at stolen base uh, success rates uh, before and after changes. Um, and he basically found um, that... Uh, Everyone, the, the top guys became more successful. So they had a 78% success rate before and 84% after. Um, hmm. Tom Tango thinks like two to three percentage of that is just the base size. Uh, so that means that the throws over were a big part or, or more part of, of the extra success rate, the, the rules about throwing over and, and, and leadoffs and stuff like that. The uh, low success baseline um, went from 65% to 75%. Um, so a larger raw difference, that's and that's big. really big because the break-even point for uh, stealing bases is 69%. That's why the middle guys will steal more relative than before because they're going to go from go from no go to go, right? It's all scienced up, like they've got it all figured out. That's and it. so if they go from 65 to 75, the major league baseball average in stolen base success rate is 75%. So you just went from, no, you shouldn't go, man. You're 65%. You're costing us runs to, oh, yeah, you can go now. So from going from no go to go means uh, a lot means more. And so um, their their uh, stolen bases uh, went up, uh, I think, more uh, than the high than the high success rate guys. I will tell you. It's a good piece. It- you should You should check it out. I want to check that out. Everybody should go check that out. It has the potential to be a game changer. And can everybody think of one player that keeps jumping to my mind that really might seal a lot of bases this year? We might talk about him in just a tiny bit, if you can think of what I'm talking about. You you kind of already talked about this. The other question I was going to ask you, and then we're going to move on, was like, is any of this playing a role in changing anything about your fantasy takes for this year? I mean, you already said you kind of want those like middle line guys. You're looking for those 10 stolen base guys to stack those players. But when you talk about you know, uh, caught stealing rates and you talk about the stolen base rates in general, I don't know, does it change anything whatsoever or does it just more push your fantasy agenda think, for the year? I think we should change our targets because we're projecting a 25% increase in stolen bases, you know? And so if you used to, you know, target 80 stolen bases, you know, and that used to be good enough for me. 80 is not uh, leading the league in stolen bases in your league, uh, in a 15-team league, but 80 is like being in the top four, you know? Uh, and the reason I did that was because I didn't want to spend so much on steals, you know? 
And so I would just get enough to get to 80 and win home runs, win RBI, you know what I mean? Like win all that other stuff and get fourth in stolen bases. That was always my aim. But if that's my aim in the past, then, you know, if 80 is the is the number I was looking for, uh, then I should be looking for 100. And that now. is going to change some potential. And if you'd like to get like 100 before, you should look for 125. Like I think you should change your target uh, for stolen bases if you're in if you're drafting in any league. So there's not a player. You're you're saying the overall target of what you're chasing for the position. Uh, yeah, because category. we're gonna have a really hard time. As much as we just t- spent talking about modeling it and who's gonna get the most out of it and the thinking we can do, we're gonna have, it's gonna they have to play it out. Yeah. And some people are gonna like we in that discussion, that fascinating discussion we had. You were talking about Corbin Carroll's you know raw speed versus Jordan Lawler's knowledge on the on the field, right? You know, if you're talking about Jordan Lawler, maybe he's going to get those throws over and play cat and mouse and like really zoom in on that and steal a lot more. Whereas Corbin Carroll is more just of a burner and he's not going to get those throws over and maybe he'll just steal what he would have stolen anyway, whatever that number is. So yeah, I mean, that's it's going to yeah, come you, down to like the, the actual player in each case. But we know it's going to go up 25%, right? So, yeah, we know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the one thing you do know, you don't know who's going to get them all, but you know that that you need that there's going to be more and so you have to get more so i think that's the big takeaway yeah and and carol specifically it's interesting because it's just about the the caught stealing rate that improving just as a better factor for the fastest player in baseball to be able to steal uh, more bases. All right, that's a fascinating discussion. And then maybe down the line here, we'll have some more of uh, some of those potential targets that you're going to be looking at as spring training kind of keeps evolving and we're seeing play, players go. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Uh, we got a lot of news and notes here. Maybe one of the biggest one from a player perspective was uh, Jordan Alvarez. You know, Jordan Alvarez uh, still not swinging a bat with a wrist injury. And that is concerning. I will tell you this. Two drafts I'm doing. I told you I went Ricky Bobby in TGFBI that just started up. I'm uh, If you're not first, you're last. I'm tired of messing around. I'm not playing it safe. I did the same thing in tout. I've put a lot of baskets into the Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Alvarez um, uh, bucket here. I've drafted him in both spots. He fell to 15 here because people are generally worried. This isn't the same injury that the, the leg stuff really worries me about him. I'm a little bit less worried about this. They're just letting him rest. It's kind of similar to DeGrom, but that's not a good sell. Those but it does highlight that, there's, that, that he's like an old young player. You know, like he's, the knees aren't <laughs> yeah. great. He looks, he looks almost like he's older than, the, you know, than, you know, he looks older. He just, he looks, I feel like, and he's big. 
So I think there's a little bit of injury risk here that we maybe not be properly. So are you out? Are you out? Like he fell to 15 to me in TGFBR. Are you passing on Alvarez all day because of this? Because he hasn't been swinging in the first week of spring training? Well, my projection said that Vlad uh, Guerrero Jr. was, you know, $3 clear of, of Alvarez. Uh, that was my first round pick in TGFBI. But I had, you know, in my queue, it was Vlad, you know, Alvarez. It was easy, easy choice for me there. But what if it was one later? What if I had the next pick uh, and I'm choosing between Alvarez and like Betts? I didn't even get that option. Alvarez, I would have taken Vlad. I would have easily taken bets without question. Bets, I have at number seven overall this year. So I'm all over bets. I wasn't given any of those options. It was Alvarez or, or lower tier players like Burns or Devers. Burns and Carroll, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, Burns and Cole and like uh, Rafael Devers. That was what I was dealing with. And I, I felt I wanted to take the risk because. Yes, there's injury concerns. You got to take some shots, especially in the TGFBI. But I don't know if it's worth at this point being like, oh, I really want him to drop. If you want him to drop from 10 to 12 or something like that, but should he drop outside the top 20 because of this wrist issue? Mm, I don't know. The, the The flip side of it is that he is the best hitter in baseball. I mean, he was the darling. <laughs> in November, if, if I told you in November you could get Alvarez at 15, you'd have been like, shut up. No, you yeah. Didn't. Because that's not going to happen. So uh, that's one of the big ones. We're all kind of patiently waiting. No real early signs. They haven't even, this is the maybe bigger worrisome thing. They haven't give us, given, us, given us any deadline. Like, hey, he's going to start swinging this week. Or early next week, he's going to get into a game. They're just very silent about it. And that is what is a little disconcerting. So beware if you've got some early drafts that are coming up that we are waiting for some news. But I have pulled the trigger because sometimes you will see this happen in spring training. There are small opportunities here and there that pop up for short periods of time where you get discounts on players. Yeah. I might get burned. I feel like this is an opportunity for me. That's a good point. I remember I got Zach Wheeler uh, oh, you so know, low. in the fourth or fifth last year because he just, there was like, the, the news cycle had been like, oh, he's hurt, he's hurt, he's behind, he's behind, he won't make opening day, he won't make opening day. And then the day before my draft, he threw a bullpen and the velo was there and they were like, eh, it's probably okay. You know, he's going to make a start in three days or something, you know? And I was like, bam, I want him. I got so, him in tout last year, tout auction. I got him for like 13 bucks because everyone yeah. was absolutely terrified about him. It was yeah, huge. You, there, is a, there is a tendency to overreact. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this note I'm saying says hand. Is it a hand or a wrist? I would, I would just wish we had more knowledge. And I think, you know, in light of not having that knowledge, I would, uh, I would still take it. Uh, Cubs had a couple injuries. Seiya Suzuki undergoing further testing. Uh, he did this on Sunday. I believe he was going to have an MRI today. I did not hear as we're recording this on Monday. I didn't hear what the news was. Uh, he was Oblates, scratched. Man. Yeah, he was scratched from a start. And then also Justin Steele was scratched with uh, really, really horrible here. I hate to hear the word fatigue with any pitcher, but they said general arm fatigue. So um, are you more worried about the oblique with Suzuki than general arm fatigue with Justin Steele? Both, both of those are not good. Uh, the obliques are bad because it, this is such a rotational sport that, uh, and then the obliques are so tricky. I was talking to, to Granky about, to, to about when he had it. And he said, I, I just have to, it, it's just, if it hurts or not, you know, and I don't know if it hurts or not until I get up on mm. the mound and try to throw. And then if it does hurt, I got to not throw for two weeks. You know, <laughs> and I just have to try it again, you know? So uh, coming back from an oblique sucks. I, I, 
I think I would have to. And then you, you, what you do want from Suzuki is some stolen bases. And that's not something you like that requires obliques too. So like, I feel, I feel like I would knock Suzuki down a couple, couple spots because of you, news, you yeah. know, he also came to camp noticeably bigger. It looks like he added uh, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle or something like that. I wonder if, um, you know, the, I mean, it is blatantly to your eye that uh, physical change might be playing a, a role. Like in the minor leagues, that's a pretty common thing. When these guys go through these big body changes, you'll see, you know, an 18 year old changes body to 20. Like it's not uncommon to see guys go through struggles where they're, yeah, they're learning their body that maybe Suzuki going through a completely different routine, adding that muscle played a little bit of a role in it. But oblique is very concerning for a guy that I'm targeting all over the board. Yeah, so I really I liked like him that. before this. So I'm hoping for good news today. Uh, yeah, in the meantime, you just have to wait for more news, you know. Uh, another piece of news, this is not injury-based, and we're going to get to some stuff changes, was um, Cora said, Alex Cora said that Masataka Yoshida will not be the leadoff hitter for the Boston Red Sox after everything that we were kind of sold on, that he will not, but he will actually be more in the middle of the lineup. And I don't know if that changes much. Does that change anything for you with Tanaka, uh, with uh, Yoshida? Because he was, you know, projected most projection systems one of the best hitters in baseball this year. The leadoff spot had a lot of people going like, hey, stolen base potential if you're leading off and runs. But now if he's going to be hitting closer to five or six, maybe RBIs are there. But that does seem like lesser of a stolen base uh, spot. And I've never really believed he's going to be a big stolen base guy. And this almost... All but confirmed. Not that guys at five or six don't steal bases, but I just feel like if they felt he's such an on-base threat and he could steal, you would want to put him at one or two in a lineup that's like really not that impressive. But Yoshida has also early on when he just signed, he had said he never let off before. He actually kind of wasn't. Co- he openly said he like wasn't comfortable with it, but he do whatever the team does. Anything change for you with Yoshida coming out of the leadoff spot? No, I just think it's super super weird that in his first five plate appearances in the big leagues, he struck out three times. That just when he doesn't, doesn't make any out. sense to me. He doesn't strike out. It's spring, so there's a there's a little bit more risk here than the projection systems are letting on. They don't have him projected for that many stolen bases. So if you're, you know, if you're using these projections in your auction auction calculator, you're not going to be buying him for stolen bases. Um, and I would say that I watched him and he hit a real nice double and it looked like he had a good power swing. Um, and he didn't get all of it and it went to the bottom of the wall. So I do think that I believe that he can hit uh, 20 homers this year. So okay. 20 homers, a 280 average, those things I believe in. The stolen bases were never that big a part of his game. Now you put him in the middle, you get more RBIs and runs. It's still pretty similar. We also had one, I forgot one more injury. Reese Hoskins apparently underwent offseason knee surgery in December. Don't like that. But the Phillies said he could be in action later this week. So kind of like the Miguel Vargas stuff. He had this little hairline fracture, but then he got back into game action. Uh, I think he went out and then he came back in. So I don't know if there's any, I'm not a big Reese Hoskins guy kind of in general because of the position. You can get Rowdy Telez later who crushed and uh, I saw in Brewers camp the other day. So I don't know if you feel if that changes anything for you. I just don't like hearing a guy had knee surgery in December and it's like, yeah, it'd be in action later this week. Like, yeah, really? Are you sure? So are you, uh, are you a Reese Hoskins guy? Does this do anything for you? It's to repair a meniscus. Uh, it's a relatively minor knee surgery as I understand it. Um, and uh, he's not a, a middle infielder. So do I think he can, you know, hit 245 and and hit 30 dongs uh this year? Yeah, I, I still think that. 
Okay. Going to some performance-based uh, things here. There were some changes, this get, or the stuff-based things. Shamanaya. Shamanaya, apparently, fastball, jumped from sitting around 89 to 90, and he openly said this surprised him. And he, I think he even like was like, are the clocks good here? That he was clocked in between 94 and 96 on the fastball. So this is right up your wheelhouse. What is Sean Manaya with that bigger of a fastball to you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think this is another guy in the string of pitchers that the Giants have signed that had not done weighted balls before they signed with the Giants. The Giants go send them to do weighted balls and they reap the benefits. I mean, uh, at least that's what happened with Alex Cobb and, uh, uh, and Alex Wood before. Uh, so, you know, going to driveline really helped him. One thing um, that I want to say here is that um, he, his max, his max, nope, his max. Let's look at his max. His max has been close to 96 in the past. Last year, his uh, max in September was 95.7. Was he in the relief at that point? Anyway, even early in the season, uh, it was 95. So what are you going to do when you come in for two innings? You're going to be closer to your max than usual. However, what do you do with weighted ball training? You allow yourself to sit closer to your max. <laughs> That's actually part of the mechanism of, uh, of weighted balls adding velo. So uh, I do think he will uh, have a better sitting velocity than he did last year. But um, I bet you he sits something like 92, 93 uh, during the regular season. And, uh, you know, he's done that before. Uh, 2021, he was 91.6. So I'm saying, like, he'll sit this year 92.5 or something. So, so this isn't something a buy we haven't. Uh, no, it is. I mean, a, a whole tick is nice. Uh, but there is also research that finds that uh, a tick in that range is not as useful as other places. He's also going to a nice park. Uh, so, you know, I could see him getting down back down to the years of, uh, you know, three, six, three, eight ERA, uh, with a decent whip and a strikeout per inning. I don't, okay. I don't think it makes him like an ace or anything, but that's, that's a good, makes him valuable I, where he's going. I knocked him up in my ranks a little bit. I didn't, I knocked him up. Uh, I mushed, I pushed him up <laughs> in the ranks a little bit. Samanaya, <laughs> not having baby. a baby with Sean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful baby draft that we got out of Samanaya. Uh, how about this one? Nadia Valdi fastball apparently had decreased for four straight seasons prior mm-hmm. to this year, but is up hitting 98 in his first spring start. I had I didn't have a gun when I saw him throw, but I had noted that like man, it felt like it was popping. Uh, out of Nate Eovaldi. So four straight year decrease, but you're shooting 98, kind of similar to what you said. You go in small innings, you're going to kind of hit your peaks. Is there any excitement? I I think the Rangers rotation is super sneaky, even though they're quietly older arms and Martin Perez is maybe a little less than exciting, but I really like Andrew Haney this year. I think Nate Eovaldi is one of those players I kind of want to target late. Do you like that theoretical uptick in velocity, or do you think it's the same thing with Mania where it's like, well... You know, this is a one or two innings and he's really pumping it up. If he enters the season with 98 as his max, it would be the worst max that he'd entered the season with since his rookie season. (laughs) Okay. So it would also be much better than the max velo he was showing late last season. 
In September, his maximum fastball velo was 95.7. Um, and October, it was 96.4. So it would at least be bringing him back to the beginning of last season. Um, and here's hoping that he can hit 100 uh, before the season starts. But at 98, going back to the beginning of last season, I think is also important because he had a 3-3 ERA in the first half last year and a 4-9 ERA in the second half. My model loves Nathan Eovaldi, and if he's closer to the first half version, then he's going to be better than all his projections and be maybe closer to... Other models are saying he's going to have a 3-8 to 4 ERA and PPERA, which is nice because we always love to say the word PP in this household. Uh, PPERA says Eovaldi is going to have a 3-3-9 ERA. And I think if he's hitting 98 right now, that's possible for him. Okay, that's a good sign. Uh, A guy that got a lot of pub just like a week or so ago about big changes was Joe Ryan. And Joe Ryan, in his first spring start, kind of scrapped a few other pitches, and we saw a dose of this new split change and this uh, new sweeper that he was throwing. He ended up giving up two runs, though, in one and one-third of an inning. So, you know, we're trying out stuff. We're readjusting. Results weren't necessarily there. But Joe Ryan has been on a little bit of a balloon lately as he's rocketed up on some value. Are you buying into the Joe Ryan hype right now, especially after he's throwing... Like a lot of these guys will talk about like, I'm going to start throwing this, but the game action is a little bit different. Similar to like what I talked about with Bryce Miller, where the gyro is still a work in progress. But Joe Ryan just came right out the gates throwing some of the new stuff. Yeah, I pushed him higher on the revelation that he's throwing a sweeper. Uh, His sweeper was much better uh, stuff plus in the second half. I think we talked about it uh, on rates and barrels recently, but I pushed him back up to 45 now. Uh, he's right there with Luis Garcia and Jeffrey Springs and Jordan Montgomery. I think that's a, a group of interesting young arms in good parks with uh, mid threes, mid to high threes ERA projections. Uh, none of them is going to strike out 30% or, or, or be really join the ace uh, tier, I don't think. But the nice thing about Ryan, and this is actually probably different from any of those other guys that I just said, Ryan's fastball is the best of those four guys. And Ryan's fastball has always been his best pitch. So if he does have a split finger that works and the sweeper we kind of know works from from late season stuff plus, um, he's probably has a little bit more upside than Jordan Montgomery, Luis Garcia, and Jeffrey Springs. You know, like those other guys are pretty well formed at this point. Uh, With Joe Ryan, I was trying to pull this up here. His overall ADP, probably change I didn't do draft champions, is 143. Do you think uh, 143 and 237 with Nate Nidavaldi is too big of a gap? Yeah, 100. Uh, percent I have uh, I have them five apart in the rankings. I'm a little aggressive on Nidavaldi, I guess. I'm probably one of the high men on it. I just I see that 339 projected ERA. I do have a 145 innings total with him, but I have him in a, a tier there with Grayson Rodriguez and Alex Cobb and Freddie Peralta. You know, those are the four guys where you're taking on the uh, the injury, the the uh, not injury necessarily, but innings lit risk. You're taking on an innings risk there, but yeah. they could all perform really well. And if any of them throws 180 innings, they could be, you know, in it for the sigh. I mean, I don't know about that's true for Alex Cobb, but 
Peralta Rodriguez and maybe even Evaldi. If he throws to like a three two ERA in 180 innings, like he could be he could be in top ten for the side. I like and I don't like that you're pumping up Evaldi because he's like my late draft guy. So <laughs> I like that we're talking about him and the confirmations there, but he's probably going to move up just a little bit in there. Uh, there were a couple others. I want to move on to more of the performance stuff, but we also saw uh, kind of a new approach from Nolan Gorman with the Cardinals, who I read this really interesting article about how uh, you know he was mashing early on, but pitchers adjusted and just started attacking him high in the zone and he wasn't able to readjust. Coaches talked to him about that. He worked, I think, with some tech stuff, and now he is starting to be able to spray balls all around, and he's been able to hit all fields, which is really big for him. And we also saw Nate Pearson, the ghost of Nate well, Pearson. Well, just real back. quick on yeah. the Gorman thing, you know, you can do a simple heat map over at Fangraphs, the heat map tab. I've just got contact rate on all his pitches, um, and he has uh, 50% contact rates uh, on the top top part of the zone. And he's obvi- very obviously his heat map is he's a low and in hitter. Um, and he, he likes inside and he likes low and inside. Um, and so, you know, if he does, when you develop that hole out over the top of the plate, uh, they just pick at it and pick at it and pick at it. And that's why you get a 16% whiff rate, 33% strikeout rate. If he can improve that strikeout rate at all, he, he becomes much more relevant uh, for that team. And then, also, the other question is just how he fits defensively. I just well, don't know how, how that I works mean, right DA, I, I've continuously look at the Cardinals and just say there's a trade waiting to happen. I mean, maybe it seems like you, Gorman is the guy they're going to trade. They're not going to trade could, Walker. No, 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 no. Of course not. But like you could trade Yepes and put I think Gordon Yepes, in there. I think Yepes and Carlson are potential players. And, it, you know, Dylan or Nolan Gorman's like 22 years old. So if they really still want to believe in that bat, especially that he took some of that tools that they wanted back him to, the to minor do. leagues and they say work this do this swing in the minor leagues for a half season and see what see where you are and then maybe he becomes a dh if they make a move here uh, also nate pearson um showing off some good stuff multiple 100 mile per hour fastballs in there almost registered at 101 i know that got some people excited i still believe he's a reliever overall but nice to see him uh throwing some uh, some high heat in there. Um, you and I talked about this beforehand, and we only have so much more time. I did want to talk about a few of the performance things, but you want to talk about at-bat leaders because there were some really interesting uh, spring at-bat leaders early on. The Royals and Padres, um, Royals, Rangers, Padres, and Mariners might have a little bit of an uptick because they started the first two games, but there were a couple guys that jumped out as far as at-bat leaders go. So what do you want to hit on that? Yeah, I just thought, uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, it's just, at bats alone are an interesting indicator in the spring because the team is giving them a real look and they're making a priority to put them into the roster, uh, you know, every day, especially early. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think it's instructive to see, um, like Mark Vientos, uh, tied for the lead in plate appearances, Jared Kelnick, uh, right there with, uh, in, in the second group, um, you know, Jackson Merrill, Pete Armstrong, uh, there's a there. Those are the kind of uh, young guys that are getting the chances. Nolan Jones uh, leads the Rockies in in at bats. Um, so those are all kind of uh, names I'm looking for. And if you're looking for that Julio Rodriguez narrative in terms of um, you know uh, of making the team out of spring training, um, I think one thing you'll want to do is uh, note that he ended up playing a lot last spring, you know? Um, and in terms of, of leading, uh, how he did in terms of his team, he led the Mariners in plate appearances, uh, in spring training. 
right? So if you want somebody to to, to kind of uh, you know hit the ground running and make the team and uh, and be this one of these like Julio Rodriguez type prospects, you want them on this AB leaderboard. I don't see Walker here yet. It's early going. I don't. I'm not saying that Jordan Walker is not going to do this, but you know uh, that these guys are on here is interesting to me. Um, you know, you know, we've you have a lot of the, uh, the the guys who are battling for a spot. David Dahl is up there, uh, so I think there's a, a, a possibility. We were talking about Tatis. Uh, there's a role there, uh, so you know there are some. Uh, Brandon Dixon is up there in in plate appearances. Those are the guys fighting for the last two spots on the Padres roster. What, what's also interesting is the WBC comes into play here because there's a lot of players that are going to be leaving. We, you and I, we spent, me and Ano spent a decent amount of time before the podcast talking about the Padres in general because A, you've got Tatis that's out for a month, which is an interesting wrinkle. Plus, you've got them losing half their team to the WBC. They're going out there. So they have probably the biggest non-roster invitee that I've seen amount of players. And David Dahl was like number two as far as the bats go, which might give him a little leg up as a possibility for it. But I wanted to turn it back to Kelnick, which I think is really interesting. Because even though he has major league time, Kelnick might be in a Julio Rodriguez situation this year. I would guess that Jared Kelnick will lead the Padres in at-bats. The Mariners. This, and, uh, or, I'm sorry, yeah. the Mariners. Uh, this spring training for a couple of reasons. A, they're suffering injuries. Uh, Taylor Trammell is missing time. B, you've got Teoscar Hernandez and Julio Rodriguez leaving, and this is the time. We also, we we got the... Leaving for the he, WBC, yeah. WBC, yeah. We've got the whole, like, he let new people into his camp and sticky notes. He's kind of had a, a different approach. I saw him having an all-fields approach in a couple BPs, and he had a phenomenal start to spring training. That first game or second game, two for three, had two home runs. The problem is, is like... How are you going to weigh this? Because there's obviously the critical point. Uh, friend Rob Silver put out a tweet where he's got like, you know, a sub 20% K rate and eight homers in spring training, and it's over 30 yeah. in the majors. And he's the he next Mikel the Franco. He tied with Julio Rodriguez for uh, the plate appearances last year. Uh, and he had a 265 average, 559 slugging, three homers, and only nine strikeouts and 34 ABs, uh, 37 ABs. So, like, you know, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's done this before. Do you buy it? Though? I, do, you, do you buy it? I'm, I guess I'm interested because they need him. We were talking about this in the preview section, uh, over at the three O show. He's probably one of the most pivotal players in his division in terms of a single player, uh, being so meaningful for his team, because this team does not, it has Julio Rodriguez. Yes. And I like Cal Raleigh a little bit, and Tasker Hernandez is still a good hitter, but it doesn't really have star hitters on the same levels. You know, they have one star hitter, and so they need the rest of the the, the lineup to be a no holes lineup. And uh, they have a big hole right now in left field. And if Kalnick can step forward, then you've got a you've got a lineup that you know can do you damage from different spots in the lineup. It's longer. It's and it means it's really meaningful because they have a really good pitching staff. So Kelnick is, is I think, super pivotal for that team. So, yeah, he's definitely going to lead uh, in plate appearances for the Mariners. I just don't know how much to take away. The one thing I would say is usually strikeout rate in a small sample is somewhat meaningful. Um, and there is signal in spring training uh, information. We know this from Dan Rosenheck's uh, research uh, about it, that, there is, that you know your spring training OPS will actually affect your projection. Like it <clears> does actually improve your projection. So it is somewhat meaningful. It is a month of play. Like if you saw Jared Kelnick, you know, go off in April next year, 
you would think that was meaningful, you know, um, it would be if it was a whole month. So I will say this. I would love to see his strikeout rate uh, and power numbers be good in this month. And if okay. they were, it would it would affect my appraisal of him a little bit. Uh, only last thing I'd point out was in his very first at bat in spring training, uh, Corbin Carroll, he led off for the Diamondbacks. He hit a single and immediately stole second base. Stole, and he base. stole it. Stole it by a mile, baby. And of course I had to make a comment. And of course I had to get the the sarcastic trolley stuff about my love for Corbin Carroll. But I just want to point out that Corbin Carroll's gonna steal 30 plus bases this year. And he not only led off for that team, but he already looks good and he was a running. He was a running, you know. And you even said on this show, I want people to remember that, you know, you talk about volatility with rookies. There's a floor there. There's a floor there with this guy that seems like no others, and it's already jumping up. Uh, underdog uh, best ball drafts. He's jumped up from 80s to the 50s right now. Oh so no! This Corbin Carroll's on talked rocket, about. Though, problem, I liked man. him at 80, but uh, 50 might be pushing it, dude. It's a little bit pushing it. So uh, maybe one of the guys that we can be encouraged about for uh, spring training. Lots of other fun stuff to talk about. We'll have more notes. There were plenty of other interesting performance, even things we didn't get to. Want to talk about Reed Detmers, but we can do it on a another episode tomorrow we're going to actually talk about more pitchers because you know and i on the pro, uh, project prospect we're going to talk about the pitchers that you want to target uh prospects uh, to target pitchers for redraft so maybe a little bit of brandon brandon fought who's my favorite we could talk about grayson rodriguez and quite a bit more so make sure you tune into that dynasty prospect based episode make sure you go to uh athletic.com rates and barrels subscribe today get access to the pitching plus projections the draft kit my dynasty ranks Two bucks a month to get you set up. It's a beautiful thing. And make sure you follow Eno on Twitter at Enosaurus. You can follow me at Is It The Welsh. That is all that we have for you, friends. Until next time, it's Rates and Barrels, and we will have fun with you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.